All those stories are very important. You know, the stories of struggle and hardship, but so are stories of joy. And growing up, I never saw a single book as a kid that had an Indian kid doing these amazing things and going on adventures. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent Sarah M. Fisk. Pyle Doshi has a master's in creative writing from the New School, New York. Having lived in India, the UK, and US, she noticed a lack of Indian protagonists in global children's fiction and one day wrote the opening paragraph to her debut middle grade novel, Rhea and the Blood of the Nectar. Raised in Mumbai, India, she currently lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota with her family and can be found daydreaming about fantasy realms to send her characters off into. So please welcome Pyle to the show. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. We are going to talk about your journey to publication today, and we're going to start all the way at the beginning. So when did you first start getting interested in writing, and then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? You know, I was never one of those kids who knew at a young age, um, you know, like when you're eight, like, I know I always want to be a writer. I love writing. I, I had no clue. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um and but I did love reading. And I think my my love for reading began when I was, I would say, 10. I really got into it. Um, I read Anne of Green Gables. Just it's one of my most formative books. Uh, lots of Enid Blyton books um, and uh, Nancy Drew and all of, you know, and then Sweet Valley High and all of those, you know, formative books uh, of kids of the 90s um, and just fell in love with reading. But I never very seriously thought about it. For a very, very long time. However, one day when uh, recently, about a few years ago, when I went back to India, I found in my old childhood room, I had saved this, <laughs> uh, this, this little, this full scrap sheet of paper where I had written, which I had even forgotten when I was probably eight or nine, fan fiction on Captain Planet. I don't know if you ever watched Captain Planet. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I loved Captain Planet, okay? Um, And so I, then it brought back memories. I was going on, I was going for a relative's wedding and it was a a long distance trip. So we were on a train, like an overnight journey train. And I, it came back to me so vividly. I remember sitting on the top bunk and all my cousins were down below playing. And for some reason, I decided to sit on the top bunk and write this fan fiction episode of Captain Planet. That tells me that clearly I had something in me that I did want to write as a kid. But beyond that, I don't think I ever did any, you know, a few diary entries here and there, but nothing that made me think that I seriously want to pursue this or this is something I like. Uh, But I guess it was there. Fast forward to when I was 23. I had uh, returned from my master's in the UK and I was working for a magazine publishing in a company in Bombay. I was the features editor and it was a lifestyle magazine and I was writing pieces on, you know, houses and, you know, vacation uh, places to vacation and stuff like that. And it was it was good for a while. And again, I think I ended up choosing to do that because I have a background in management. And even when I went to the UK, I did my master's in creative management and creative industry. So there was always some part of me that gravitated towards I was like, I know I don't want to be 
doing marketing in a FMCG company. I knew that was not what I wanted to do, but somehow I'm like, I needed to be in some creative field. What that field was, I don't know. I interned in London at uh, Pan Macmillan Publishers. So I, because uh, I remember the publisher had come as a guest lecturer and I remember having this aha moment at 21 when I was listening to his lecture going like, wait, wait, reading books can actually <laughs> be a profession? Like, it's not just a hobby that people do this, you know? And so I immediately applied for an internship there and I worked in the sales department as an intern. Um, so that was like, so, but again, I was more on the management side of things. When I came back to Bombay, I was like, you know, I want to, I guess, dabble in the writing side of things too. So I did magazines and uh, so I was at the features editor. Anyway, I was there for a year. I was, was so frustrated at the job because I just did not enjoy what I was writing. And out of true pure frustration, one morning I, you know, I was like, I don't want to go to work on Monday. I just, I, the, the idea of going and writing things that I have no passion about uh, is like draining my soul. And so I powered up my laptop and I said, I'm just going to write what I want to write. Having no idea, no no prior thinking about what I wanted to write about. And I just wrote two paragraphs uh, and it happened to be about this eight-year-old girl uh, who ran into um, this mysterious forest behind her house and something magical uh, happens with a tree and she gets really spooked and she runs back out. That was it. I remember feeling so happy and so exhilarated just writing those 200 words that I was like, this, this, this is what I need to do. (laughs) And I grabbed any notebook that I had and I I plotted this whole story out, which is the story of the book uh, as it is today. And that's where that first spark came. That was probably that was when I was 23. And then I spent the whole year writing it while I was still working because I realized in the in the scheme of writing it, like I, I need some direction. I feel like I am just, you know, just drawing from whatever I'd supposedly self-taught myself from reading. Mm-hmm. I had entered a few competitions. Uh, Disney India had run a competition and I came in third. So I knew there was something there, but like, you know, clearly needed more help. And so I was like, Mom and dad, like, I feel like I need to get, um, you know, maybe a master's in creative fiction or something like that. So I applied to the new school. So then I moved to the new school when I was about 25. The funny thing about an MFA is that in the two years that you are studying writing, you do the least amount of writing on what you are actually writing because you have workshops <laughs> and do all these different other submissions. And so for two years, I barely wrote uh, any new words on RIA, but it was my thesis project. So by the end of those two years, I wrote a substantial bit more. I would say from the moment I started writing Ria, it took me 10 years to finish it. Um, so it's been a long journey. There's been a lot of, you know, life happening in the way a lot of procrastination comes because then you're also, I had a full-time job at Scholastic in New York and coming back and then, you know, it was hard to keep up sometimes. And I was, was also in New York as a single girl. So it was like, I'm going to go out on Friday night instead of sitting at home <laughs> and uh, writing my book. But I finished after 10 years. And in 2017 is when I began querying my book. All right. And we're going to talk more about that process in just a minute. Can you tell us a little bit more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author, that you you know, wanted to see your name on book covers, you wanted to see your book on shelves, and what you thought it might look like for you? 
I think from the moment I started writing, I had those dreams. Like the minute I started writing Ria as a full-fledged novel, that was the goal. That was the dream. I wanted to be traditionally published. That was a given for me. I, to this day, still dream of all the different things that <laughs> can happen with Ria. And men, so many have actually come true and there's so many that's still to come like any book lover right like I anytime I walked into a bookstore like in me I would be like oh, one day one day <laughs> I remember is you know during the time that I was querying and it was uh, very difficult it was those dreams that did keep me going and at the time I was like literally if one other person that like a random person that I don't know of gets to read my book I would consider all of my efforts you know, which are 10 years long or more, uh, worth it. Mm. It's the best dream. And it continues to be with any succeeding books that come as well. And I think even when I received my first copy of the book was when I felt like an author. Until then, it was like so weird to say, even after you sign your book deal and stuff like that, like, oh, I'm a published author. You felt like such an imposter saying it. It didn't feel right. When I held my book and I saw the name and saw those words that, you know, you've just toiled over seeing being there in print in on those pages and you smell those pages as you do your like that's that was the moment um I don't think it can ever get old even if you write 100 books I don't think that (laughs) at that point how did you learn more about the publishing industry like how it works how to query how to send queries how to research agents all that different kind of stuff I would listen to a lot of, you know, like Y'all Fest and a lot of free festivals that had that would put up YouTube links. I would listen to all of those uh, seminars, workshops. I would follow a lot of uh, booktubers who gave amazing advice, like Alexa Dunn is one of them. You know, I would always, I would keep gathering information. And then when the time came, I knew of Query Tracker and I subscribed to Query Tracker. I, I subscribe to Publishers Weekly, and so every time they, their rights reports would come in, I would read all of the entries, and I would find uh, agents that had repped middle grade books, especially fantasy middle grade books. You know, I, I I understood that it was important to find agents that represented books that that you are writing. So I would you know keep an eye out for that and make my notes. Uh, I would go to bookstores and pick up the books that had the same vibe as my book and I would flip to the acknowledgements page and see if they if the author had thanked their agent and make a note of that and then again like I said query tracker has a great database and a filtration system where you can put in all of the different genres and that you're looking for middle grade fantasy um which region you're looking at and so I would then look at those the lists that will pop up there and then I would go on their website and research uh, the web so that's what I did um, to gather all of my tools. I read so many query letters that, you know, mm-hmm. how to write query letters. Uh, there's some great blogs out there. Um, Readsy was a really good resource as well. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey through querying all the way to sending your first book contract? It was a long one, very winding. So I began querying end of 2017. I queried in batches, uh, which I think is a really good way to do it. Um, I had my, you know, different tiers of agents that I wanted to, and I, I had batches that had little, you know, a few from top tier, middle tier, and the lower tier. All were really great. And I would send them out every week or 10 days and wait to hear back. The good thing was I had a lot of interest in my book. So my um, in my first year in 2017, I probably queried about 40, 50 agents, I think. And then I had... 
easily 70% of them asking for a full. Wow. So it, that was really great and very encouraging. The first time I queried, my manuscript was at 91,000 words. Mm. With all of my research in the publishing industry, I clearly did not research word counts. Uh, (laughs) I got, you know, a resounding uh, number of rejections. But again, many of them, I ended up with seven R&Rs, which are revise and resubmits. Most of them had the fact that my pacing was slow because A, my, my book was just way too long. And I am an overwriter, so that was very true. And also I had three POVs in the book. And so expanding three storylines, you know, ended up resulting in the 91,000. And so my main feedback was that in the R&Rs to reduce, to increase pacing and reduce the word count. I felt obviously, you know, still sad because you wished that you could have still got that one. It, it felt like I had come so close. But then I said, okay, it was, it was definitely a hard pill to swallow because I had to cut, what, uh, 30,000 words, which was like... You know, that requires a lot of rewriting. And I had rewritten, rewritten this novel a gazillion times already. <laughs> so anyway, so I was like, okay, you know, but I have these seven authors, uh, seven agents who are so interested. And they gave me really wonderful feedback. And so then I started the process of revising it. This was in 2018. In 2018, I was all, I mean, 2017, I was also pregnant. 2018, my daughter was born. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I didn't, you know, obviously I didn't get to, work on the book for a good three months after she was born. Um, And then I got back into it and I removed an entire POV and, you know, again, went through all of your, your typical process. I sent it back to my beta readers. I got my feedback. I I brought it down to, I believe, I think it was like 71,000 words or 69,000 words. I brought it down to, and then I started querying again in 2019 and I reached out to these agents again and then, you know, took it wider Long story short, uh, you know, the rejections that are coming in, there were, you know, obviously some were form rejections. I got so many. I really, really like this book, but I didn't love it. You know, that intangible thing that Mm -hmm. makes an agent fall in love, which I understand. Uh, So, you know, regretfully passing or please reach out with any other work that you have. Uh, And this was this was really where my first. Uh, experience, with, at least the one that I remember, I don't remember so much in the 2017 experience because I was so focused on the seven INRs. But uh, in the second round, uh, because it was, you know, the competitive word count, it was 69,000 words. And, you know, it was in my eyes, as from my, what I could do, it was as good as it was going to get. Like then I needed editorial feedback to get it, to help it get better. I received several agents who uh, wanted me to change my world so my book is a fantasy book and it's a portal fantasy the earth part of book is set in india and then my characters who are indian uh they travel to astranthia which is a magical uh, fantastical land now astranthia is not indian or indian inspired it's an east meets west kind of a land um i purposely wrote it in a way that nobody could put it on a map it symbolized sort of my experience growing up as a kid. I threw in British references. There were Celtic references. There were Indian references. It was this hodgepodge of, you know, East meets West, because that's kind of what my childhood was growing up in the 90s. We had the internet. We had MTV. We had, you know, so I was like crushing on the Backstreet Boys and at the same time surrounded by all things Bollywood. And, you know, so, so that was Astranthia for me. 
I, so I had a, a few agents said that they would sign me on if I would change Estranthia and make it into an Indian-inspired land. And that just meant like rewriting all of Estranthia, <laughs> you know, and that's three-fourths of the book. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't going to do that. I had agents ask me to have Rhea. So in the stories about uh, Rhea's twin brother, Rohan, who goes missing on the night that they turn 12. And that's kind of how the book opens in the first few chapters. And Rhea comes from a poor family. She lives in Darjeeling, which is full of these beautiful tea plantations where you get Darjeeling tea and her mother's tea picker. And so I was asked to have Rhea spend more time in Darjeeling and show her life, which is precisely the reason why I didn't. I wrote this book was to stop showcasing India and Indian people with only having, you know, baggage and poverty and sadness and hardship. And all those stories are very important. You know, the stories of struggle and hardship, but so are stories of joy. And growing up, I never saw a single book as a kid that had an Indian kid doing these amazing things and going on mm-hmm. adventures. I mean, we never even were, I mean, the first time I, in my life that I read of an Indian character, I was in Harry Potter. And, you know, it was, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> At the time I was, I mean, we were, me and my friends, we were like over the moon, like what this, Padman Parvati, like this is crazy, this is amazing. And now when you think back, you're like, wow, like, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how it is with representation. You just don't see enough of yourself. You take any of these crumbs that are thrown. And back in the day, when you look at, you know, representation, uh, when they did have Indian characters, good Lord. I mean, they were so... <laughs> <laughs> so that was precisely why I wrote this book, because I wanted to write a book in which my characters just happened to be Indian, just the way I had just happened to be Indian. And I'm so much more than just being Indian, because this is... And I'm very proud to be Indian. But what happens with cultures that are underrepresented, and I don't, I hate using the word minority because as an Indian person, South Asian Indian, we are a billion strong. (laughs) We are factually a majority in the world, but underrepresented so, so direly that you, you know, a publisher sees Indian or a a reader sees Indian and automatically expects a certain kind of a story. Mm -hmm. And I hated that because my experiences didn't match any of those experiences. And that's not to negate those other experiences. It's just that there are other kinds of experiences. I had a fantastic time growing up in India and I wanted to showcase the beauty of my culture and my country in just show kids being kids, you know, I mean, my idea was why can't Harry Potter be Indian? I connected with Harry Potter, even though I never lived in England and didn't, you know, do half the things that he did and see all of those places. So anyway, so I got a lot of feedback saying, can we have, you know, let's spend some more time in Darjeeling. But I was like, but Rohan's gone missing. Like she has to go find him. And I knew where they were coming from. I had uh, an agent who said that she absolutely loved the book, but they had just signed another author, an Indian author with an Indian fantasy. And so unfortunately they had to pass and at the time, I was heartbroken. I didn't for one second think, uh, excuse me, you can have another one too. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, no. I was like, you know, you were like timing. Like, why? I just wish I would have, you know, sent it to her earlier. I worked harder mm-hmm. and sent it last year or whatever. So I had a lot of those experiences, very many of those. By around, I would say, mid of 2019, I was 100% sure that my book was never going to see the light of day. Um, I was very heartbroken. 
Um, I think in July, I happened to see in the publisher's rights report uh, email that came into my inbox, there was a company called Bharat Babies that had done a deal for a, uh, it was a picture book, I think. And I remember my eyes just going like, oh, Bharat Babies. Bharat is the, the Hindi word for India. And so I quickly looked them up. They had a really nice website and I sent them, they had a submissions form. So I sent them a query and they got back to me saying they wanted the full. So I sent that. And that may not have been July. That probably had been earlier, maybe April, May. And then I didn't hear back as well. So I, by around July, I was, I had hit my lowest point. I had a week of crying. I called my parents back home in India, like sobbed on the phone for two hours. And my, you know, my 10 years are for nothing. And I remember my dad said to me, when you think of giving up, think of why you started. And I thought that was, you know, at that moment, I was like, dad, I don't need this. <laughs> but later <laughs> on, I was like, that's true. You know, there are so many authors who have not just one book that didn't sell, plenty of books that didn't sell or books that were just lying in their drawers that never seen the light of day and I was like okay like that's gonna be me and that's fine but this is what I want to do like because I also after I had my moment moments days um, of hitting really rock bottom the thing that got me out of it was a new idea that I had (laughs) and that's this that's the craziness I think of writers right the very thing that completely cuts you down (laughs) and and breaks your soul is the thing that gets you out of it. And I was like ready. I was excited to get back into this process that had just chopped me to pieces. But I learned from that process. And the the thing that I learned from all my rejections and the industry was that this is a business. And when I first wrote Ria, I just wrote from my heart. Like I didn't think about what the market trends were or what the implication of writing a book with South Asian characters. I had like no idea. Such a novice in the field. And so with this new idea, you know, I considered that I said, okay, I understand this because one of the agents had very clearly said when she had asked me to turn Astranthi into an Indian inspired land, she said only one third of your book is in India. It's going to be very difficult for me to market this book as an Indian inspired fantasy because my book was also not based on mythology or folklore, which is, again, something that someone that publishers, when they look at, again, uh, you know, underrepresented cultures or non-white cultures are like, give us the mythology and the exotic and like, let's, you know, and mine wasn't any of that. And so I understood that, you know, if I want to sell a book, I might need to think about these things at least and, and give it my own twist and spin. But, you know, are you you have to work with the market if you want to be in this market. That was my takeaway. And so anyway, I had this new story idea. I started plotting it. I wrote this very detailed outline and I got into that and it really did lift me up. And that's when I got an email from Bharat Babies, who now are called Mango and Marigold Press, um, saying that they loved the book and they wanted to have the call. And I was so happy. I remember I was getting my nails done and I started crying. <laughs> but then I came back and I I told my husband I was so happy. And then I suddenly was like, wait, the editor's white. So I was like, shoot, um, what if she wants me to change everything? So I sort of held back. I had the call. It was amazing. Uh, I just let her tell me what she thought about the book and all of the changes or feedback that she gave me was based on character development, plot development, again, increasing the pacing, blah, blah, blah. 
nothing was about astranthia and changing it and you know to to cater to the white gaze and i was like where do i sign <laughs> in jan of 2020 i signed my contract with mango and mango books awesome all right it is time can you read your successful query letter for us dear agent i am seeking representation for my middle grade fantasy fiction novel titled amaranthia complete at 66000 words Since you enjoy reading about strong sibling stories, exciting adventures and richly imagined worlds, I hope my query will interest you. Amaranthia is a story set in Darjeeling, India, and in the fantastical realm of Amaranthia. It follows Riya Chetri, a feisty and inquisitive 12-year-old girl whose life in the small village of Mirik gets turned on its head when her twin brother Rohan goes missing on the night they turn 12. Unwilling to wait for the police to help, Ria and her friend Leela enlist the help of Mishti Dadi, a wrinkly old fortune teller whose powers of divination set them off on a secret and thrilling quest to find Rohan. Portaling through a banyan tree, the girls travel to the otherworldly realm of Amaranthia, a land full of magic and whimsy. There, with the help of Zarantha, an Amaranthian barrow boy, and Flula, a pixie, Ria discovers that her brother has been captured by the evil queen Razia. Set in the lush tea plantations of Darjeeling and the enchanted world of Amaranthia, Ria must solve clues that lead to her brother, seek answers for why he has been kidnapped, and find a way to fulfill the queen's condition for setting him free. If she fails, Rohan will die. In this tale of loyalty, friendship, betrayal, and sacrifice, Ria unearths dark family secrets, learns about the magic that flows within her, realizes the meaning of friendship, and discovers her true self. In today's changing times, I believe it is crucial to portray strong and diverse female characters that stand up for themselves. Growing up, I longed to read about an Indian female protagonist who solved mysteries and went on swashbuckling adventures, but an Indian girl was rarely the heroine of the children's fantasy novels I adored. The book also deals with themes middle grade readers will connect with, such as learning to make friends, conquering fears, and fighting for what's right, understanding complex family dynamics. and will resonate with those who have enjoyed reading the chronicles of narnia by cs lewis the golden compass by philip pullman and the yarusha series by roshni choksi in addition the story offers a glimpse into the vibrant culture and life of contemporary india and parallels a subtle twist on one of india's most famous folklore epics ramayana i have an mfa in creative writing fiction from the new school and this is my first novel I'm also a member of the SCBWI. I was born and raised in Mumbai, India and currently reside in Minneapolis, Minnesota with my husband. Thank you for your time. Sincerely, Payal Doshi. Awesome. Thank you. So, how has your experience been since signing your book contract? Especially were there any kind of surprises along the way? One of the main things that surprised me is that as an author, your job does not end with just writing a book and editing it. It continues in on the business side or slash promotional side of things especially in this market to sort of create your own brand to push your own book you know from things like i remember for the pre-order campaign it's like you put in your own money to buy stickers and you you know initially i my notion was oh you once you get a publisher they're going to do everything mm. they're going to handle everything and they do for most part but also your book is the shiny new thing right before launch and then after that it's like you know on to the next and you have to do everything to keep your book relevant 
even with the book tour, you know, I reached out to bookstores and, and not to say that they don't do that. They, I think they do do it for certain authors, but it's that funny dynamic where the ones that don't need all of the, the, the publicity <laughs> get the publicity and mm-hmm. uh, us that need the publicity to be, you know, showcased into the world like, hi, we, we, we're here, we're new, but, you know, uh, we get nothing or hardly anything. I would say that's been the biggest surprise. And the pandemic helped me and my batch of authors uh, that's in 2021, I think, because it forced us or rather it it encouraged us to band together. And I think that was a delightful surprise from all of the other things that were happening around because having that uh, group where you can discuss things and share things I feel like I would have been lost without them. And I think my experience was more positive and had more positive things than negative things was because I could see what others were doing, what other publishers were doing, what other authors were taking up by themselves, lessons learned that I could incorporate into my own launch and campaign. And uh, I would have just been lost otherwise, because even the things that the publishers do, especially on the marketing side, comes or came from me like hey can we have a pre-order campaign you know you assume they would be like okay this is happening and I'm not saying that it doesn't happen I just this was my experience and I know a lot of other authors had a similar experience especially with debuts so had I not known to ask those questions I don't know I was like am I getting any trade reviews Uh, are we getting author blurbs you know Uh, and then that ended up working out and there were certain things I would ask and I would say, no, that's not in our budget. We can't do it. So then I would decide if it was worth worth it if I if I put the money in and did it. But had I not asked, I don't know if I would have gotten it. So just selling a book doesn't mean your job's done. Um, you have to do a lot. All right. It is time for our quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Now I would say I'm a middle middle between the two, but more plotter. So I would say 65% plotter. (laughs) You already answered this, but are you an overwriter or an underwriter? 100% an overwriter. Do you tend to write better in the morning or at night? Morning and afternoon only. My brain switches off at 7 (laughs) p.m. Sadly. When you start with a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? Character and plot. Like I have a, I have an idea of this, the main character, and then I immediately need to put a plot to it. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All the way. When you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Silence. I tried this thing very recently where I tried to put background instrumental music, that like, epic fantasy theme music, and oh gosh, no. <laughs> so, silence, absolute silence. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or get it right kind of person? Get it down. What tools or software do you use to draft? Microsoft Word. I tried Scrivener. I liked it, but I'm I'm a Microsoft Word gal all the way. And I upload to OneDrive. So I yeah, simultaneously. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Revising. I hate drafting. <laughs> I hate it. I hate my first drafts are so second drafts are so bad revising. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential order. And final quick round question, are you an extrovert or an introvert? I think as I'm growing older I'm becoming more of an introvert, but I I think I'm more I am more of an extrovert, an extroverted introvert is that is that a thing? 
Uh, but I'm more extroverted, I would say. Okay. So the show's called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. We already heard your query, and now we're going to talk about the second cue. Oh, okay. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey, and were they realized, or did you overcome them, or how did they shake out? Prior was just, you know, someone give one sign a book deal with me. So that was the only uh, worry. Going forward with my subsequent books, I think before while I'm querying and I'm in that process of, you know, hopefully having talks with an agent and stuff, I would what my worry would be how you know, I do not want to compromise the integrity of my representation. That would be my biggest going forward in the in the process with Ria, it was just someone signed me on. The worries I had during my publishing journey and as my book got published, I think my biggest worry A was that I had two biggest worries. One um, was that I signed with an independent press, a small press, and I was worried about the traction my book will get, publicity, you know, all of those things uh, as compared to the big five. And I will say, and I don't know if it was the pandemic market and the online market, but I, I was very happy that I did not face those issues. It was harder for my publisher, I know, to get my to get trade reviews like from Kirkus and School Library Journal, which they did eventually get. But it was not easy. It wasn't, uh, you know, that it's much easier for the big five. Where uh, my worry was realized is in the distribution. They are a smaller press, so their distribution is limited. And so, of course, it's there on all of the online catalogs of all of the bookstores. And obviously, it's there on Amazon and stuff like that. But there weren't that many physical copies in bookstores. And that has been deeply upsetting to me. (laughs) I get where they're coming from. They tried. Uh, We got it in a few bookstores. But that pull and that those relationships that big publishers have with the bookstores that my publisher didn't have because they were also they're also fairly new so that was a worry that I that was realized that did it, it is it something that we still that I still have but it's been six months and you know most books also sort of rotate out around this time so I don't think it necessarily hurt my sales though I will say because I do think all most people do order online and especially in the pandemic very few people are going out to bookstores so it didn't affect me but it still doesn't I don't have the luxury of walking to any random bookstore and seeing my book. Like I can write it down and go, it won't be there. So there were a few that I knew and I went and I saw it and it was amazing. Uh, but, you know, and I think that is a concern with a smaller press. If there's if there are readers who are considering it, I think that's a big one. In my publishing house, what I really found lucky to have was that we it, the, the communication channels were very open. I could shoot emails directly to my publisher or to my editor and get immediate uh, an immediate response. And I worked with them very collaboratively through the marketing process, pre-order campaigns. We did a really great campaign and they could focus on me as their lead title, whereas I would not be a lead title or I don't think I would have been a lead title with a bigger publisher. So I had that attention on Rhea for when I needed to have it on Rhea. But the biggest uh, would be that this distribution is a very difficult. Yeah, I do think distribution is one of the biggest challenges for small press. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? A quirk would be that one of my the ways that I get my juices flowing is I live in Minnesota and it's cold practically all year round. And I have a trusted like 
a mobile heater with me, which is literally right next to me. <laughs> and <laughs> and I have gotten used to writing with the heat on me. And it's almost as if I cannot think now unless there's like this warm heat on <laughs> my feet, which is so strange. And sometimes I, I need a pack of barbecue legs to get me thinking. I mean, <laughs> they have never failed me, these two things. When I'm at, in a writer's block situation and I get these two things out, I always make my way out of it. So that would be a silly quirk. All right. You kind of touched on this earlier with the advice from your dad, but when you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? You know, just writing just putting putting those thoughts, uh, that story, that scene, I say down on paper, but, you know, basically um, typing it on your laptop and just seeing it come alive on the page just gives me so much happiness. I look at life as you live it as much as you can, as fully as you can on the day to day. There's always going to be people who are doing better than you. And you never think of those that are not doing as well as you. You are always looking forward. So you're always comparing. So you always feel like you're in this rat race so it can get you down. But if you just focus on the now and the present and the fact that you get to do this wildly amazing thing and create something out of thin air and weave this story, it's, I mean, this probably sounds, you know, very <laughs> pompous, but I surprise, I'm like, I, I, I surprise myself. I'm like, I wrote that. Like, even if it's a crap scene, but it's like, I put that down and just that, that creative act of molding it and, and honing it and making it, you know, a really well-written scene that when you finally read that scene and it just reads fluidly, and this is, I'm talking about in drafts and revisions, like, I'm not even talking about, you know, this is getting published, like, even if it's just a project like that. That just gives me so much happiness. I literally forget everything around me. You know, I have a four-year-old daughter and it's very hard writing with a toddler in the house. And it's always that guilty feeling where if I'm writing, then I'm not spending time with her. And, you know, if I'm with her, I'm like, oh, I want to write. <laughs> the fact that for those, you know, few hours that I can write, it's just me, you know, that's my time in this world and in just doing, just being able to do this thing um it just makes me so happy it makes it a day that has been so unproductive if I get an hour in I feel like I've, d I've done something I've done something with my day for myself that I am proud of and so it's just that act just that simple act of loving putting words down and working with them that keeps me going nice aside from the word count issues early on did you make any mistakes that you might like to warn listeners about so maybe they don't make the same ones? So yes, word count is one. Just research the word counts in your genre and it's very easily to, available online. I would say, you know, think about the market, you know. I, that's just my personal experience. And again, especially if you are writing from POC culture, underrepresented culture, even underrepresented communities, know what's out there. Don't You don't have to do what's out there. But know what's out there. So know your market. Because like I said, this is a business. And if you want to be part of it, you, you've you got to play the game. So know your market. Then do what you will with it. But be aware of it. Uh, you know, this is just general advice. Make sure you have people reading your book. And sensitivity readers and beta readers are vitally important before you query. I had sensitivity readers, three South Asian women who read my book. My publisher found them right before line edits, I think. 
So this book had gone through so many revisions as it is, and they picked up things that I had missed. It just goes to show that it's so important. And so, and especially if you're writing from a uh, point of view from a community that is underrepresented or have a character that is outside of your culture, or even if it is, you know, your, the culture that you uh, uh, identify with, there's there's still blind spots in there. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, Mia P. Manansala on her episode, she talked a lot about that particular issue. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication? Be your biggest champion. That would be my advice. While you're writing your own book, while before pre-publishing it, uh, while you're trying to sell it, be your biggest champion. And that means, you know, if you, the, from the feedback you get, and there are things that you, you are comfortable letting go of or changing, go for it. If there are things that just don't sit well with you, then stick by your instinct, be your biggest champion. And then after publication, no one is going to shout out from the rooftops greater than you. No one's going to love your book more than you. So own that, own it and do it. You know, you are entitled to it. You've put your sweat, blood and tears in this. Don't shy away. Just be your biggest champion. I love that. One of the pieces of advice that I had to give my clients a lot when I was a publicist especially women, just because of the way we're socialized, is don't apologize for promoting your book and don't talk down about your book. Because if you're saying your book isn't that great, then people are going to believe you. (laughs) So make sure you tell people how great your book is. Absolutely right. And I fell into all of those. I remember one time, I don't know who I was in conversation with. And this author's book, her book was a it was middle grade, but she was, it had a social justice commentary. She was a black author writing about these black kids in the pandemic. And it also had to do with the George, George Floyd sort of and the racism that came with that. And, and she was reading from this, re, you know, from her book. And then I was had to read from my book, which was like, like this just, so I said that I, you know, and this was, bef- this was not on the, the interview, but before the interview. And I told the moderator, I was like, I mean, Maybe I'll go first just so that people don't come off of that. And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, now they, you know, <laughs> they're going to the whispering walls to listen to these secrets. And like, you know, and the moderator told me, she's like, why would you say that? But I, you know, and I was like, yeah, why did I say that? Like that, I should, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like I've not put in the time for this book. Like, so yeah, yeah that is so true. Yeah. So true. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Who are some of the people or even organizations who helped you along the way? Oh my gosh, so many. This feels like an Oscar sort of acceptance. (laughs) (laughs) I could not have done it without my family, without the support of my parents, who were like, just go for it. Like, we're with you, go for it. Uh, This was, you know, way back before when I was younger. Nowadays, my husband, who will basically have daddy-daughter time any and every moment that he can, so I can get to write. And without that, I would not be able to write because uh, she would not leave my side. <laughs> and then the 20 Wonders, which was the the group of 2021 debuts that came together in 2020. And then, you know, um, 2021, when our books published, I mean, I could not have done anything without them. They were uh, just a fantastic group that gave advice, that listened to, you know, all of the venting that was so open and sharing what worked, what didn't work. Uh, we became almost like family. 
And I continue to have friendships with these people that I have never met in real life. Few I have now, just a couple. And it's like meeting a long lost friend. Um, and I feel like it's been such a shared experience for, with all of them. And even though our books come are different genres, big publishers, small publishers, we come from all different, with different publishing journeys, but I feel like we have really formed a community and so I would not have been done this would have not be possible without them and my publishers who really gave it their 100 percent uh, and I really want to shout out to Mango and Marigold Press I know COVID has really taken a toll on them and I'm hoping for the best but they gave their all to Ria and so I'm very grateful for that awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with my listeners Thank you so much for having me. This was a great, fun conversation. It was really nice going down memory lane. and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you forget how long this process has been and how much of your heart is still in it. Even when I think back to those rejections that came in, like my heart still breaks a little. But, you know, onward and upward and, and, and keep doing it. Keep going. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Pyle's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you helped me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.